Thanks, Gabby. <clears throat> Good morning. All right, someone's excited. Come on, Tommy. Feeling the energy. All right. Is everyone all right this morning? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's um, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 3, starting in verse 13. By the way, if you ever want to grab a Bible, we have paperback NIVs in the, the aisle there. Um, occasionally, I'll see someone grab one of those. But if you don't have a Bible, um, or you just like get some like paper Bible in your hand one Sunday, please feel free to utilize any of those. Take it home, even. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain, Jesus... And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for the joy of being your people and the way that you, you, you gather individuals and um, invite us to be a part of your, your family or your body, as you say. Lord, I pray that this morning you would help us to experience more of you um, as we consider these words. Lord, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? And I pray that you would take um, the, the thoughts that I have prepared and use them in a way that truly your heart resounds, that we would connect with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so this is part seven, our final part of our teaching series that we've been in, entitled Back to Basics. We've been looking at some of the not necessarily like the most important things, um, but important and arguably some of the most basic things that we can do as a, a church that Christians um, have been doing for ages that we might sort of forget, like, why is this important? Why is gathering together, like, so essential? Why do we do this? And these songs that we sing every week, we call it worship, worshiping in song. Why is this important? Basics. So we've been working through the basics. And this morning, we're going to talk about casting out demons. No, I'm kidding. We're not actually going to do that. Uh, we could. We could. Ironically, if you just read through the Gospels, Jesus like, was constantly confronting and commanding demons to, to go away. Um, and then he said that we're going to do the same thing. But we're not talking about that this morning. What we're talking about this morning, this is part seven of Back to the Basics series, is we evangelize. So let's get that slide up there. And the final illustration from my son. Oh, gosh, the anticipation is killing me. Where is that next slide? Uh, there it is. There it is. We evangelize. We evangelize. You want to cast out demons? Um, so... I intentionally wanted us to use that word, the dreaded E word, evangelize. It's like right up there with proselytizing. It just has this very ominous, like, oh, like, 
reminds me of the, like, colonialism or something. Um, but it's a good word. It's actually a very biblical word. It comes from the Greek word evangelion, which simply means the gospel. So anywhere in the New Testament where you find that word gospel, it's, it's the Greek word is evangelion, which is where we evangelize. And to gospel, to share the gospel, is what we call evangelizing. Um, Jesus called his disciples to himself that they might be with him because he desired to be with them and then he sent them out. Last week we talked about praying. One of the, the reasons why praying is such an important and basic aspect of the Christian life, it's how we actually enter into the presence of God. It's how we experience like intimacy, friendship with Jesus, communication. It's like any other relationship in a way when we talk to our Father, we, we're getting close to, to him. And when the disciples were called to be with Jesus, the natural outflow is that they were sent out. They received something that they were meant to share. In Acts chapter 2, it says, the, the passage that we re- referred, referenced several times during this series ends by saying, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Um, It's not explicit in the text, but if people were being added to their number, if the community was growing in numbers, someone must have been talking about Jesus. Word was obviously getting out. I would argue evangelism was happening. It was inherent in the church. So let's talk about it. Here's how I'm going to break it down. First of all, um, what is it? So if it's not already clear enough, we're going to make sure it's crystal clear what we're actually talking about. Number two, perhaps most importantly, why? What is, or let me put it this way, what should be our motivation for wanting to tell others about Jesus, for doing evangelism? Really, really important question. Um, And then finally, we'll talk a little bit about how. Best practices. How do we do it? Um, So what is it? Simply sharing with others or declaring and demonstrating the good news or the gospel about Jesus. That's what it is. It's just telling people, sharing with people um, in words as well in deed. Sometimes our actions can speak much, much clearer and loud, louder than, than words. So we declare and we demonstrate uh, the good news about Jesus, what am I talking about, the good news? The good news is that, well, we sang about it quite a bit this morning, actually, that Jesus went to the cross, that he shed his blood, he gave his life, he did something for us, something that we can't do for ourselves, for our benefit, that we might be, like, made new, forgiven, adopted. The, the, the New Testament is full of, like, metaphors for what this is. And there's a lot of different creative ways you could think about it, but the bottom line is God did something for us that we can't do for ourselves, Jesus came not to condemn us, but to rescue us. 
to invite us home because God loves us. That's good news. That's really good news. Particularly for, you know, I don't know, how about, I don't know about you guys. Have you ever, um, I'm going to use a, a, a deeply theological term here. Have you ever sinned? Okay, let's all extend our hands towards Ken. We're going we're to pray for our highly deluded brother now. <clears throat> yeah, we sin. It's like, the, it's like the, it's a human condition. It's our, it's our common predicament. Um, and instead of a creator grabbing us by the back of the head and rubbing our nose in it, you're like, why don't you just do better? Why don't you just try harder? God comes down and he says, can I, can I help you? Can I, can I open your heart and help you to see like what you're actually looking for? You know, there's a reason, there's a desire underneath every harmful thing that we do. Sometimes the things that we pursue that we think are going to give us like fulfillment, make us whole and happy and we get, we get down the road a little bit, we realize, like, man, this isn't, this isn't it at all. I'm just feeling more and more empty. I thought this would deliver. And that's oftentimes what, what sin does. Go chasing after these things. We realize this isn't, this isn't life. This is not wholeness of God. He comes close to us as our creator and our father. And he says, I know what you're looking for. I know who you're looking for, you are hardwired for relationship. You want to be loved. And you want, to, you want to learn how to love others. And so God, he does that for us. He helps us. So that's good news. And I could go on and on. That's good news. Sharing it with others is what we call evangelism. Now, the all-important question, why do we do this? Have you guys ever been... Um, someplace, I'm sure this, this will happen at least once in your life. You find yourself someplace and someone approaches you. Maybe you get a knock on the door. Maybe you're in some public place and someone all of a sudden is trying to like convert you to their religion. You ever been there? How did it feel? Is it awkward? Did you feel loved? I'm seeing a couple like, man, not really kind of, um, maybe you did. I, I've been in that situation. I've been on both sides of that situation. Uh, sometimes I felt very loved. Other times I've just, it just felt very icky. Like, what, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like, what are you trying to prove? Is this for, for you or for me? And this whole mixture of emotions, but what, what you're kind of tapping into in that moment is motive. Like, why? Like, why are you doing this? Who is this for? Motivation is key. Um, Acts chapter 4, verse 20. It says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. Talking to a couple people who are telling the apostles, stop telling people about Jesus. And their response is, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Okay, so motivation number one, there is a, a natural overflow. 
when you've experienced Jesus for yourself, when you've experienced forgiveness, when you have a heart that's just like full of his love, um, it's actually a very logical response to want to share that with others. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the love of Christ compels us to share him with others. Christianity is inherently an evangelistic religion, if I can put it that way. Hey, calling it a religion has so many negative connotations, but it's a religion or a religion. It's an inherently evangelistic, it's an outward-focused faith. It's the kind of relationship that, that naturally wants to like spread across cultures and languages and nations and time and generations, and it just keeps growing and growing. It's actually one of the things uh, very unique about the Christian faith. It's lasted um, wars and uh, the coming and going of empires. It's never been contained in one culture or language. It just keeps spreading and spreading. It's like a, it's like a seed that's been planted. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's the nature of love, real love. Um, when that love gets a hold of your heart, you might find yourself just being compelled to share him with others. Um, ironically, as much as all that's true, very little do you find uh, like the, well, I would, I would go so far as to say nowhere do you find in the New Testament the command to go and tell others. You see it happening a lot. Uh, it would certainly seem like that's the idea. But what you don't read is like at the, very, at the end of every letter in the New Testament, you know, the writer saying, okay, guys, uh, I saw your numbers this month and, you know, not quite hitting your evangelistic quotas. So get out there. Try harder. Feel bad. You just don't see that. Instead of the command to go and tell others, you just simply read stories of people being compelled to go and share others. It's like a, it's instead of a command, you actually see it working out as a type of phenomenon. It just happens. Evangelism is love's offspring. I would put it that way. Now, hopefully, that takes a bit of weight off. As soon as I use the E word, brings up a whole mixture of emotions. Like, oh, I should do it more, right? I should probably do it more. And you feel bad or like guilty or a rubbish Christian. And I would, I would want to insist that, that you mustn't. No, no, that, that would, um, if that's ever our motivation, God help us. God help us. Um, whatever we do should be the motivation of love. Now, how? What is the best way to do it? Context. Depends. What city do you live in? What kind of personality do you have? Who are you talking to? Um, I used to attempt to do evangelism on my university campus. So I became a Christian on my campus. And um, 
so like quite naturally, I just, I, I thought, man, I want to go, I want to go back to my university. I was a middle school teacher after I graduated, and every time we had a break, I would like make a beeline for my campus. I really, really wanted to like reach others. For me, it changed everything, and it was, it was, I, I just naturally wanted to like, I gotta, I gotta tell someone. I gotta tell someone, and I was very nervous. I was like terrified, in fact, most of the time, but I, I just, I just had to do it. So I'd go on campus. I remember seeing, I wasn't the only one. I remember seeing a guy. I noticed him everywhere. Eventually, I discovered this guy's name. His name was Donald Miller. Not the Don Miller you're thinking of who wrote Blue Like Jazz. Different Don Miller. <laughs> Here's how I discovered who this guy was. I'd see him everywhere. This dude was like, um, he looked like maybe he was in his 40s, about my age now. He wore inappropriately short jogging shorts, which is kind of cool now, but this was the early noughties. Not cool back then. Too soon. Too soon. Super short dolphin shorts, jogging shorts, fanny pack across the front. He had like, you could see he would like, he would engage someone. He'd like open it up, bust out the track, like take this. See him everywhere on campus talking to people, and I would cringe every time. And I would think, man, what is this guy doing? He's, he's making it hard for the rest of us. He's not doing it right. Stinking nerd. I had to have all these thoughts, very judgmental. But then I started meeting people, like, over and over. I'd, I'd like, befriend someone who's living in the dorms. We'd start talking about Jesus. And Don Miller would come up. They'd be like, oh, do you know Donald Miller? I'm like, who's Don Miller? Oh, I met him. Like two weeks, we shared the gospel with me. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, I just gave my life to Jesus because of Don Miller. I promise you, I, this conversation just kept happening over and over and over. And eventually, I put it together. I'm like, that's Donald Miller? That guy that everyone's raving about, that he's introducing to Jesus over and over? And I thought, but he's awkward. Just look at him. Who wears a fanny pack in the early 90s? Context. Or, to go back to my previous point, motive. As it turns out, yeah, this guy was awkward. And I don't know exactly what he was doing. I only ever saw it happen from a distance. But he was, he was sharing the gospel with people. And apparently, um, people were responding in like beautiful, wonderful ways. My point... I don't think the, the technique is really that important. It really depends on the context. Who are you? What's your personality? If you try to be like me, trust me, it's going to be awkward. It's awkward enough just being me, okay? If you try to be like anyone other than yourself, it's, it's going to be awkward. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for boldness. We don't look for opportunities to like step out of our, our comfort zone, as we say. Like that's all good. Courage is good. Boldness is good. But realizing that when it comes to sharing with others the good news, it really depends on the context. Now, all of that said, I do think there are some, there's a few aspects to sharing the gospel that I would suggest like but but these whatever the context is or however it looks or sounds for you here's a few things 
um, that, that are crucial. Very simple, and they'll actually be up on the screen. Um, truth articulated, truth demonstrated, and thirdly, and this is where we'll camp, truth integrated. So, so truth articulated, he sent them out to preach. He called them to himself and sent them out to preach, to declare, to articulate. Elsewhere, um, the Apostle Paul, he, he submits a prayer request to the church in Colossae. And he says, pray for me that when I attempt to share the gospel, I do it clearly, with clarity as I ought. So it is important that we sort of think through, like, how, how might I clearly articulate the truth of the gospel? So that's important. Um, truth demonstrated. He sent them out to preach and cast out demons. This speaks of the fact that the gospel is not merely a competing ideology. It's not just a philosophy. It doesn't exist merely in word alone, but in a demonstration of God's power and the Holy Spirit. And so when we're actually attempting to share the gospel with people, it's not just, hey, check out my philosophy. It's way more convincing than all the others. Paul, again, the apostle elsewhere, said, when I came to you to share the gospel, I did it with much fear and trembling. I felt quite awkward. And that's okay because the gospel doesn't hinge on the eloquence of man or the wisdom of man. It's a matter of power and a demonstration of the spirit of God. And so when the gospel is articulated, it must also be demonstrated. That could mean like a, a confident confrontation between light and dark. I remember one time sitting on this stage with a guy that I met right in this neighborhood. He came into this building. I've shared this story before and he said, is there anyone here who can, well, how did he say, I think he asked for an exorcism. Is there anyone here who can perform an exorcism? And I said, I, I, I can try. <laughs> like, I think he was hoping for a priest and like holy water and like the whole, the whole thing. Um, but I'm like, well, Jesus said that we would cast out demons, so here goes nothing. And we sat here, and I attempted, you were in the building, to muster my courage. It took me like an hour to finally get to it. And I was like, you know what, let's just, so you want this demon. He, he was, I, I did not convince him that he had a demon in him. Like, this was his conclusion. Who am I to argue? So we sat here, and when I finally got around to it, I just said, okay, I'm going I'm to pray for you now. And I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. And I said, in the name of Jesus, and I looked him right in the eye, and I said, I'm not talking to you now, but I'm gonna talk to this demon. So just hang with me. In the name of Jesus, you come out of him now. And this dude, he like, it was scary. He like lunged backward. He was just like, Vroom. and then he like did this major exhale. This has only happened to me like two or three times in my life. This demon just came out of this kid. It was scary. It was really scary. And he looked at me like, whoa, what just happened? And I'm like, you know, just, just cast a demon out. Like, it's just a Tuesday night. And so occasionally, that can happen. Maybe more often than not in our city. I don't know. It can happen in healing. By his stripes, we are healed. By his sacrifice on the cross... His suffering, 
because of what God has done in Christ, I can experience healing, not just emotional, not just psychological, but even in my body. So occasionally we can pray for someone to receive healing, and occasionally we can witness a miracle. Now, of course, this brings up questions like, does it work all the time? No, no. No, we're, we're waiting, we're eagerly waiting for Jesus to return, at which time his kingdom will be um, established perfectly and eternally. And so when someone is healed or a demon is cast out, it's sort of like a foretaste. It's like the kingdom of heaven kind of breaking in in a moment, as if Jesus is saying, no, I'm here, I'm working, I'm with you. But even if someone were to be healed in this life, um, there's a very good chance they're still going to die before I come back. So any sort of experience of like the kingdom is truly temporary until the eternal kingdom arrives once and for all. But we still keep praying. We still keep praying. So that's truth demonstrated. Now, here's where I want to I dig in a little bit. Because I feel like this is the, the third one, truth integrated, is where we contend to, um, maybe we forget this part. Truth integrated is truth lived out in our lives together. The gospel articulated in words with clarity. The, the truth demonstrated in power and a very real expression of the spirit with us. But what about the next day? And the next day, what about my relationships? What about like the stuff of life? What does that look like integrated into like my actual life? Not just a moment, but like everyday life in community, in relationship, in my family, in my workplace, in all of the, the wonderful, complicated stuff is life. How is the truth integrated into our lives? Let me read to you out of... 1 Peter chapter 3. I love this. 1 Peter chapter 3, and starting in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Context. In the midst of hard times. Difficult times. Complicated times. In the midst of hard times, the community of Jesus church, the people living out the good news about God's great victory, his generosity, will inevitably provoke the question that all the best evangelism truly stems from, which is, why? Why are y'all so full of hope? The truth integrated results in the community of God, the family of God, living in such a way that the question is provoked. 
Why all the hope? Where does all the love come from? You're more than just nice. There seems to be a genuine love, a compassion, grace, forgiveness. It's all working out in the messy, hard, painful stuff of real life. And when people, normal people, imperfect, work-in-progress people like us begin to see the truth of the gospel integrated into our lives, particularly into our little community, it begins to provoke the question, why? Where does this hope come from? Explain yourself. Defend yourself. That word, word there, defense, be, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have within you. That, that word defense, some of you I'm sure have heard this, comes from the Greek word apologia, which is where we get our English word apologetics, this idea of like explaining the faith. How many of you have ever um, found yourself in a conversation when someone is taking the liberty to answer a whole bunch of questions that you're not asking? Someone just feels compelled. Let me, let me share all this information. Let me just preach at you for a second. And you're like, I didn't ask. I don't care. Go away. But when the kids of God start to live out, when, when the truth is integrated into our lives, particularly our relationships, because let's be real, that's, that's where the rubber really hits the road. Then it provokes the question, where does this hope come from? You're different. Something compelling about the, the way you're living your life. There's something especially curious, provocative about the way you're loving each other. Now explain yourself. This is truth integrated. When the spiritually curious person peeks in through the window of your life or our church family and our relationships, what will they see? What question might they ask? Will the rumors of hypocrisy be confirmed? Or will they begin to wonder, could it be that there's more to this Jesus stuff than I realized? This is the provocative community of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, it says, you are a letter from Christ. Written not just with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. In the first century, the gospel would often go out in letter form. Words written on paper, being distributed all throughout the region. Here it says that we ourselves are a letter from God. The way we actually implement the truth speaks louder than ink on paper. So here's the question. Will the truth that's lived out within our community, our relationships, our lives together, provoke our world to want to investigate further? This is the great challenge. This, this is super challenging, but it's also when evangelism gets fun. It's when you get to like, it's, not, it's no longer about let's go like cold called strangers. Let's go like accost like the random unsuspecting person on the street. Which you could do by the way. 
I don't care how you do it. Just have love in your heart. But when you realize each one of us has this role to play in this network of relationships, some of you all can talk real good. You might be the one to articulate. Heck, I might just say, hey, take the mic, break it down like you did that one time. Explain this good news. Awesome, your mouth. Not, not, not very many of us, thank God. Some of you guys might be really good at hospitality. You're like, don't, don't put me in front of a crowd. Okay, I get, words aren't my thing. But I'd love to cook. I'd love to open my home. I really, really, really get excited when the opportunity to like serve um, like the least among us, those in need, or put me in a fight. Some of you are like, man, I just want to fight injustice wherever it is. Awesome, totally do that. When the good news goes out, evil cowers. Injustice is confronted. And so we each have this part to play. But whatever your role is, we're all brothers and sisters. We're like a family. And that's the challenge. Because family, like relationship, real relationship, where we're getting vulnerable and being honest and having to like forgive each other, and that's hard. That is really, really hard. Will the truth that's lived out in our community, our relationships, our lives together, provoke the curious to want to investigate either? Why so hopeful? Why are you so secure? Why are you so patient? Why so forgiving? Why so compassionate? Why so brave? Why so fun? Why so loving? Why so faithful? Explain yourself. This is what I'm seeing in the relationships. I think it becomes um, especially vivid when a brother or a sister sins against another. Because that happens, right? Just recently, um, well, just last week, actually, I stood up here and I was preaching about prayer. And I remember saying something in the moment. I felt very nervous, like, this, this is probably going to be heard wrong and maybe a bunch of people will get mad at me. And I think it happened, actually. I remember, like, getting off our little stage here thinking, like, feeling quite insecure. Like, I wonder, did they take that the wrong way? Was that received? And I think maybe a few of you were possibly a little offended by what I said, which is never my intention. I'm trying to offend people. I just want to, like, just encourage us and challenge us in a way that's helpful. But what do you do when you get offended? Just leave. Sit on the other side of the building. <laughs> it's a pretty wide aisle. Um, shun, ignore, withdraw, retaliate, control, or forgive. And like walk out forgiveness, seek reconciliation. The real work of evangelism is becoming the community that actually lives truth and grace out. This is when the world is provoked to ask all the right questions.
here's um, some suggestions, some practical things to think through. Maybe pick one or two for yourself. Invitation for growth. Number one, be courageous. So I'm talking about being the provocative family of God, seeing the truth of the gospel, the good news, worked out specifically in our relationships, and what a powerful testimony of God's power that is in a world that desperately, desperately, desperately needs hope. We're all looking for hope. We're all looking for love. It takes courage. It takes real courage. So my sermon last week, if you didn't hear it, now you're thinking, I've got to go listen to this, this offensive sermon. <laughs> I can rage. I got a text right after church. Hey, I loved your sermon on prayer, but there was one thing I'd like to talk about, which is code word for like, you messed up. <laughs> we need to talk. And so I immediately responded, and I said, I'd love to talk. When can we get together? And we got together a couple days later, and I said, so t tell me what's on your mind. What's going on? And I kind of I thought, like, I wonder if, if it's what I was afraid was going to happen, happen. And sure enough, it was exactly it. And um, we, ended up a, we ended up having a great conversation. Now, I want to, I want to, I asked this person for permission to share this story, first of all. Um, but I want to commend this individual because uh, they did so many things right. I thought, this is a perfect illustration of, of like, the truth worked out. Um, grace at work in like difficult, hard moments. First of all, the text wasn't like, here's like a rant on everything that I disagree with and why I'm mad at you now, which never, ever goes well. Okay, so write that in your journal. Uh, it was just, hey, can we talk? Very, very wise move. Let's get in person. Let's get in person so we can make eye contact and we can, we can really make sure that we're like connecting. So we got together. This was a few days later. This person had gone back to, to listen to the sermon again online and they realized like, oh, I think I misunderstood. No, I definitely misunderstood. In fact, I stopped listening after like the first part and, and I realized, oh, no, that's, that's not what he was saying. I got properly offended. Um when I wasn't really even like listening to the whole thing, which happens all the time, like all the time. It's like almost guaranteed, right? You hear one thing and you just stop listening because you're just like triggered. But then this person said, I've realized, so, so I've kind of moved on now. Like we don't really need to talk about that, but what I'd like to talk about is that I've discovered that um, I think I'm kind of in a general like season of defensiveness. I find myself getting like defensive, like really easy, a lot. And so we talked about that. But the whole thing, I thought, this is like, this is extreme maturity. Because it takes real courage to be able to reach out and say, hey, can we have a conversation about something you said that really bothered me? That's vulnerable. That's like being willing to admit that like, hey, I, I didn't like what you said. In fact, I went home feeling like kind of bitter and mad at you. That, that's the beginning of the end of a relationship. That's how churches just sort of like dissolve and superficiality sets in and 
all of the things that no one needs or wants to be a part of. And instead, they have the courage to initiate a conversation. That's courage. Um, secondly, be humble. Be humble. Can we all say something together out loud? Just say yes, then I'm going to make you say it. Okay. I could, hold on, sorry. I could be wrong. All together now. I could be wrong. How'd that feel? Yeah, no, 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 that's, no. Yeah, I could be wrong. I'm offended, and I'm utterly convinced that you're wrong. But you know what? I could be wrong. I could be off. I could have misunderstood. Maybe I wasn't listening. Or maybe I am right, but I could be wrong. That's just humility. How oftentimes do we get deeply offended? Because what we're experiencing or hearing or think we're hearing is just, it's so obviously, utterly wrong. Or maybe you're wrong. Wow. <laughs> I, I get you. Well, I'll pick it up. <laughs> Humility. Okay. Humility. Feeling that. Number three. Be gentle. You have no idea what people have gone through. Okay, be, be courageous. Say what you really feel. Express what you're really thinking. That really hurt. Okay, that's risky. That, that could end poorly. They, they could like double down and dig in their heels and be like, well, this is what I think. And next thing you know, like the whole thing's escalated. Okay, so that's, that's risky. That takes courage. But then humility says, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong. Let, let me sort of see if I can't put myself in your shoes and, and, and try that. And then try it again and try it again and try it again. Like be humble. Realize you might be in the wrong, even though you're convinced you're right. Now, where gentleness comes in is in the process of being courageous and saying what you really think, how you really feel, understand that the person you're talking to may have been through something that you have no idea about. And you think you're just speaking truth and love. And in the process, you're just, just driving them into a, like a, burying them under a mountain of shame. Be gentle. Don't just say things because they're true. Maybe build a little trust first. Ask for the person's permission to say something that's true. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what they're dealing with. You do not know. I don't know where they're at in the process of healing or wrestling with truth. By the way, this is all just straight out of Ephesians 4. If you're like, where are you getting these things? This is all Ephesians 4. Just, just write down the list. Be gentle. Your words can hurt people. What you think might be a bit funny 
oh my goodness, the number of times I watch people just walk right out that door because someone said something that was true or trite, not realizing you're, you're hurting people. You're hurting people. You're destroying relationship. Be gentle. Two more. Be patient. Stick around. So we can practice all of that. Practice it and practice it and practice it. We can be courageous. We can be humble. We can be gentle. We can offend each other. We can figure out what grace looks like and forgiveness looks like. And we can work through all that. We can practice that and maybe get better. Maybe we can all grow up together and get more mature and and really learn how to fight for each other versus each other. But it will require that we stick around long enough to fail a lot and keep trying it over and over and over. Guys, you got to stick around. If you feel like this is, this is your church home and maybe you're still trying to figure this out, can I just encourage you, figure out where God wants you and then just commit to staying here. Pending like life circumstances and new jobs and like all the things that would cause you to like move and go other places, it's all normal, it's good. But when it comes to like something really hard happening and feeling offended or confused or whatever happens as, as relationships you know, happen, be determined to stay put. Stick it out. Be patient. Love endures. If you leave too soon, you just take that insecurity or that hurt or whatever it is, and you go to another part of the body, and it just seems to compound. It didn't go anyplace. You're just taking it to another place. We've got to be patient, guys. The real stuff of the kingdom grows slow. Like a tiny seed planted in the ground. It's powerful. It changes everything, but it takes a while. Maybe a lifetime. Some of you um, have left other churches because you heard something or you were offended or you were treated poorly, you weren't cared for. It was a negative reason and now you're here. Wonderful, awesome, I'm glad you're here. Please stay, please come back. Or maybe you feel like, you know, you're, you're dead on, you're right, I'm just running, I'm avoiding, I need to go back. I need to fix it, I need to have a conversation, I need to be courageous. I need to be humble. I, do, I don't know exactly how that all works out in like all of the, the complexities of life in your, your situation. Um, but please, try to stay put. Especially when it all gets hard and complicated and your temptation is just to like go someplace else. Um, last one, be filled with the Spirit of God. We can't do any of this apart from the Spirit helping us. This is what makes, makes it so provocative. When the community of God, the family of God, integrates the good news into our lives, the idea is that there's something happening here that is supernatural. 
This isn't just us all like being super nice to each other. It's not a bad thing. But when we're filled with the Spirit, we come into a little setting like this. We sing songs, receive communion. What we're about to do now, it's our way of saying, now, Lord, help us. Help, help me be humble. Help me be gentle. Help me receive your love that I might have something to share with others. That I might have a resource that's beyond myself. Lord, would you fill us afresh? And we keep coming back there every day, every week, every hour. Lord, would you fill me again? I can't forgive this person. I can't stop being offended. I can't just simply decide to stop feeling hurt. Lord, would you give me courage? Would you fill me with your courage? Because you've not given me a spirit of timidity. But what a power and love. A sound mind, you fill me, you give me the resources to be in your family and to love people and to forgive people and to be resilient and to lay my life down for others and to not make it all about me or what's convenient for me or what I want or how I think it should look or feel or sound. But Lord, would you fill me that I can live life, real life, full life, and that we might be the community that when the onlooker peeks in our little, in our, our window, can't really see in this window. But when they look in, they're like, what is going on in here? What do I see? What do I see? Well, I see people doing religious things. But I don't, is there depth to this? Is there forgiveness here? I've heard about the grace of God. But is it powerful enough to do what I can't do myself? Like, is this not the power of the gospel? Can we stand together, please? So that was a different sermon on evangelism, was it not? Instead of me saying, go out there and tell people, what I'm really saying is... Let's practice being good brothers and sisters so that when we do tell people, they're like, well, I've heard that before. I watched that talk online. Show me. Show me. Okay, cool. Come to the family. What am I going to see? Oh, normal people. Oh, we're a mess. Total mess. Wait till you meet so-and-so. End. End. The Spirit of God is here. Some, somehow, it's not all just devolved into like utter hopelessness and bitterness and darkness. Somehow, as we all gather around Jesus and we sing his songs and we receive his grace, the Spirit of God is like in the dark places, in the painful places, in our weakness and he begins to, to do something that like defies mere niceness. God displays his power in our weakness. Come and see. Come and see. You guys with me? It's basic. It's basic. Can I invite the worship team to join me up front, please? <laughs>